Thank you, Natalie. Not only does she sing well, but she has such a tremendous spirit. I, I love that girl. And weren't you blessed earlier? Now, to be honest, weren't you blessed earlier when Steve messed up? I love that. I mean, he, he doesn't do that very often, but when he does, it just blesses me. So, thank you, Steve, for messing up today. You just did a, did a great job. Well, today we continue our series. We've been looking for several weeks at some of the fundamental doctrines that we as Christians hold. And the one we are going to focus on today is that of spiritual gifts. And I believe it to be a very important subject. W.E. Vines defines a spiritual gift as a gift involving grace on the part of God as the donor. So a spiritual gift then is a spiritual ability given to us by God with which we serve. Now, I have long believed that if one is serving within the area of their giftedness, then that person does not burn out because they are serving within the power of the Holy Spirit. But if we are serving outside our giftedness, We have a tendency to burn out because we are serving within our own strength. Therefore, I believe that the spiritual gift, as it is described in the Bible, is very important. Paul said, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing each one individually just as he will. So what Paul is saying there is that the Holy Spirit selects the gift that you have. So whatever gift you have, whatever spiritual gift you have, that gift has been selected by the Spirit for you. So if you don't like it, it's, you, you have to talk to the Holy Spirit about it. He selected the gift that you have. And the Bible teaches that every Christian has at least one gift with which you are to serve. So then if you are a Christian, you have at least one spiritual gift with which you serve the Lord and the body of Christ. I preached once on the subject of spiritual gifts after the service was over. There was a lady came up to me and she said, now, what is your gift? I said, apparently it isn't preaching. But you have a spiritual gift with which you are to serve if you are a Christian. Now take your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 12. We'll look at verse number 3 and see what the Bible says. For through the grace given to me, I say to every man among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each exercise them accordingly, if prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, if service, in his serving, or he who teaches, in his teaching. Or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now, in our text, we begin with self-evaluation. 
You'll notice there in verse number 3, he says, For through the grace given to me, I say to every man among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Now, Paul says here that we are not to overly value ourselves. He didn't say that we are to undervalue ourselves, but he said that we are not to overly value ourselves. Truth is, most of us do. That's the reason we get upset with people when they don't recognize how special we really are. When someone disrespects us because they are not understanding how important we really are because we have overly valued ourselves. There are a couple of indicators so you will know if that is happening to you. One is that when you think too highly of yourself, then you exaggerate your accomplishments, who you are, your influence, all of those things. There is that exaggeration. Some years ago, I was at the National Prayer Breakfast and the speaker said, he told the story about Michael Jordan. And he said, in this particular basketball game, Michael Jordan scored 68 points. Towards the end of the game, they put in a rookie who scored one point. Now, some time had passed, and and the rookie, who was no longer a rookie, but the rookie was being interviewed and was asked the question, how was it to play with Michael Jordan? He says, wonderful. We we played well together and so forth. He said, "I'll, I'll never forget that night when Michael Jordan and I combined for 69 points. When we begin to value ourselves too highly, there is always that exaggeration that begins to come in. John Bassanio said, I don't exaggerate, I just remember big. And maybe that's the way with some of us. All right, so there is the exaggeration that indicates we have overly valued ourselves. Something else is a false humility. You know, whenever someone has a high opinion of themselves and they mess up like Steve did earlier, (laughs) they will say, oh, I messed up, didn't I? Now, they stand there. They don't believe that. They stand there waiting for you to correct them. No, you didn't mess. See, Steve will tell me after this is over that I planned it, actually. But we know he didn't. But there's that false humility. Next time somebody says to you, well, I messed up, tell them, you really did. You blew it that time. Just see how they respond to that. Ray Stedman said, the scriptures suggest we ought not to judge ourselves by paying attention to our feelings. I am amazed at how many people determine what they are like or are able to do by the way they happen to feel at the moment. As you ought to what? Think. Not as you feel. As you ought to think. All right? So he says that we do not overvalue ourselves, but he said instead we use sound judgment. Look again at verse number 3. But to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. So the basis of our judgment then is a, a measure of faith. Now what does that mean? All right, you're doing self-evaluation. You, you are evaluating yourself as a believer. What does that mean? It means that you see yourself as God sees you. How does God see you? If you are a child of God, how does God see you? 
Well, the Bible says that you are no longer in Adam. That you have been born again. That now you are a child of God. And the Scripture says that if a man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things become new. So that's what the Bible says. It says that you are no longer in Adam. Now then you are in Christ because you have been born into the family of God. So we see ourselves as God sees us. How does God see you? He sees you as being enabled to do what He calls on you to do because you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So the Scripture says in 1 John 4, chapter 4, verse 4, Greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. In other words, according to the Scripture, God has given you the, the ability to live the Christian life. If you are a child of God, that's the way God sees you. He has enabled you to live the Christian life. Why? Because greater is He who is within you. That's the Holy Spirit. Greater is He who is within you, the Holy Spirit, than He who is of the world. So the Lord then sees you as a new creature, enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit to live the Christian life. So folks, every day you should begin your day saying to yourself, I am created in the image of God. Because that's what the Bible says. I am created in the image of God. I'm indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Because if you're a child of God, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says if you don't have the Spirit, you're not His. So you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And today, I'm going to be involved in the plan of God. I'm going to be involved doing what God is doing. So he begins with self-evaluation. Don't overly evaluate, evaluate yourself, but he said instead use sound judgment. See yourself as God sees you. Now then he moves then to corporate unity in verse number 5. So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Now believers are a part of each other and yet we are different from each other. We are told today constantly that we are all the same. That we are all equal. I'll tell you a secret. That might be a pleasant thought for you, but we are not all equal. There's only one area, I believe, in which we are all equal. And it is that we have been created by God. We, we are not equal academically, intellectually. There are some of you who are very intelligent, some of us not so much. We're not equal. We're not equal financially. There are some of you who have a lot of money, some not so much. We're not athletically equal. Do you know, I have not been able to dunk a basketball since my 60th birthday. As I think about it, I wasn't able to dunk a basketball before my 60th birthday. <laughs> but probably some of you can. So the, the point is, is that if people today want us all to be the same. They want us all to be the same, and we are not. Men and women are not the same. And what's wrong with that, for heaven's sake? Linda and I are not the same. And because we are not the same, we see things differently and that brings a more complete picture. Because I see things one way and she sees things. I don't know how she sees things. <laughs> but it brings a more complete picture. 
reminds me of the story about the man and his wife who had returned to her 25th high school reunion. And they are there, and they're having a dinner that night, and, and they're looking at the people who are there. And there was a man over at a table by himself, and he, has, he, he, he's, he is drinking. I think he was a Methodist, but he was, he was drinking. <laughs> And uh, so the wife kept staring at him, and, and the husband said, do, do you know who that is? She said, yeah. He said, that was my old boyfriend. He said, I was told after, after we broke up that he took to drinking and, and hasn't had a sober day since. And the husband said, my goodness, how can anyone celebrate that long? We don't see things necessarily alike because we're different. Now, Paul makes that point by comparing the spiritual body to the physical body. In 1 Corinthians 12, he said, If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. Now, we know that the hand and the feet are different, but they both are important. They, they have different functions, but they both are important. So he says the same thing is true with us. The same thing is true with the church. We are not the same, but we're important. Now, that's true denominationally. I, I know that there are people who don't like denominations. They, you know, we all, we're just one church, and they don't like denominations. I don't have a problem with it. And the reason I don't is so much of the Bible is interpretive, and we don't all interpret the Bible the same way. For instance, concerning the doctrine of baptism, we believe that baptism, just like Chris baptized earlier, we believe that baptism is by immersion, just like Jesus did. But there are others who believe that it is by, it is by sprinkling. Now, I have to confess when I take people to Israel and it's December and it's cold and they want to be baptized in the Jordan River, I try to get them to sprinkle because I have to get in there and it's cold in there, but they all want to be immersed. So, Denominationally, we differ, and within the denomination, churches differ. All Baptist churches are not alike. In fact, when I came here, I'd lived all my life out west, and I came here, one of the things that I had to learn is that the people out west in the church, they see money different from the people here. And so if you're going to raise money, you have to do it differently. For instance, out west... The way that you raise money, if you're doing a building or something and you get people together and you say, well, you know, old Joe said he was going to give $100,000 to this. Well, whenever they say that, then Jim will say, well, if Joe's going to give $100,000, I give 125. And John said, well, John, he's going to give 125. I give 150. So that's what they do. When I came here, you say, old Joe's going to give $100,000. They say, God bless old Joe. We just are different. <laughs> Though we are different from each other, we are nevertheless dependent on each other. In verse number 4, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. We are different, but we are dependent on each other. Stedman said, if you want a good course in ecclesiology, just stand in front of your mirror some morning without your clothes on and examine your body. That is what the church is like. When you stand before the mirror, what do you see? You see one body. There's not two. There's one body. 
But within that body, there are member, many members. They have their hands, ears, eyes, nose. There, there, there are many members to that one body. The same thing is true with the spiritual body. And the Bible uses several analogies to stress that point. For instance, uh, the, the family. And, and, it's, and it stresses that, that we are different, but we are dependent. Now, within the family, there is a family, but there are many members to the family. We are different, but we are stronger when we work together, correct? I told Linda the other day, and uh, I think she was acting up. I was trying to think of what it was. I don't remember what she was doing wrong, but I'm sure she was doing something. I said to her, Linda, now we both have a job to do. I go to work. You make it worthwhile. You see, as we work together, we have different responsibilities. But as we work together, we are two, we are different. As we work together, we are stronger as a unit, correct? As we fulfill our function. I don't understand those people who want everybody to do the same thing. No, we are different. But as we work together, dependent on each other, then we are stronger. The the Bible then compares the church to to the army. You know, whenever someone goes to boot camp, the first thing that they do is to begin to de-emphasize the individual individual person and stress that they are a team. Same thing's true in the church. We are individuals, but we stress that we are also a team. We are a part of each other. We are dependent on each other. That is true within the church. We are dependent. We're dependent on Christ, correct? He is the vine. We are the branches. We are dependent upon Him for life. There's no life apart from Christ. So we're dependent upon Him. And then we are also dependent on each other. I've been teasing Steve this morning, but periodically, uh, Steve has different gifts than I. And periodically, he'll have to take me, uh, or at least he thinks he does, he has to take me aside for sensitivity training. <laughs> because I miss that gene or that gift or whatever. I just, I, you know, I'm, I know that, but I know that. And so I defer to him. Now, he's not always right. He, he thinks he is, but he is n- not always right. I'm, I am not sensitive, and he knows that, and so as a result of that, sometimes I can be offensive. I guess I'm a little bit like the guy who bought his mother-in-law for her birthday a cemetery plot. <laughs> and then on her next birthday, he didn't get her anything, and the wife said, Honey, he said, why, didn't you get, why didn't you get mother a, a, a birthday present? He said, she hadn't used the one I gave her last year. (laughs) So we are different and we are dependent, okay? We are different from each other, and that's the reason we are dependent on each other. We really do need each other. And the gifts that I have might be a blessing to you, and the gifts that you have can be a blessing to me, and we are stronger as a result of it. That's the reason spiritual gifts are so important. Then he goes to individual ministry. We're dependent on each other, but we minister as individuals. Now, gifts, there are several gifts that are listed, and Paul lists several here, though they are not exhaustive. Warren Wearsby, I thought, had a good word about spiritual gifts. He said, spiritual gifts are tools to build with, not toys to play with, or weapons to fight with. I think that's a good word. 
They are tools to build with. And so Paul lists several gifts here. Prophecy, first of all, in verse number 6b, he said, Let each exercise them accordingly, if prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. Now, Stedman said, basically, prophecy is the gift of expounding Scripture, making Scripture come alive. It comes from a root word in Greek that means to cause to shine. And it refers to the ability to take the Word of God and make it shine. John Calvin said the peculiar, it is the peculiar gift of explaining revelation. So prophecy then is the gift that God gives to someone who is able to make the Word of God shine. Now we have teachers like that in our church. And there are some of you like that. I mean, you can take the Word of God and make it shine, make it alive. As, as, as you expound the Scripture, you're able to make it shine. And we understand what God is saying. And then he mentions service in verse number 7. If service in his serving. That's probably the gift of helps. These are the ones who don't get a lot of attention unless they're not there. You, know, you don't know that James is up in the sound booth and, and, uh, unless something goes wrong, right? It's the same way with ushers. Those down in the nursery. Those who serve on committees. They are serving. So those who have the gift, that, that is a spiritual gift, the gift of helps, service. And then he says, teaches, it teaches in verse number 7, or he who teaches in his teaching. Stedman said, teaching instructs the mind and is the basis for understanding many of the truths of Scripture. So Scripture then is to be proclaimed and it is to be explained. It's to be both. So the proclamation of the gospel but then the explanation of the gospel. It is both. We are to proclaim the Word of God and explain. And those are spiritual gifts. Gifts that God teaching. And then exhortation in verse number 8. He says, Or he who exhorts in his exhortation. That is the gift of encouragement. Barclay said, Real exhortation, I like this, Real exhortation aims so, not so much at dangling a man over the flames of hell as spurring him on to the joy of life in Christ. Now, friend, aren't there some people when you're around them, if you were not a Christian just because you're around them, you, you, know, I, you know, I'd like to be like that. I mean, they just make you want to be a Christian. They just make you want. For instance, I, I look back there and see Eli Wisher. Now, Eli, is, is, he is one of the most, he is, you know, he's always smiling. I don't know what he has in mind, but he's always smiling. And I think, you know, whenever I'm around him, I just feel good. Every time I'm around Eli, I feel good. Charles Bagnell. Charles is one of the most positive people I have ever known. And whenever I'm around him, for a while at least, I try to be positive. But see, there are people who are like that. They just make us want to be like them. That is the gift of exhortation. They are encouragers, and they encourage us. Then he mentions giving. In verse number 8 he continues, He who gives with liberality. Now that probably is referring to the spiritual gifts. The spiritual gift that you have, you are to use it generously. But it also refers to money. And you are to give generously. Then he talks about leadership in verse number 8 as he continues. He says, um, And he who leads with diligence. Stedman said, Paul says, do it with diligence. That is, don't wing it, do it thoughtfully, think it through in advance. If you are in a position, now listen, if you are in a position of leadership, then you're to lead with diligence. 
That basically means that you're to be prepared. A leader is someone who has a plan. A leader is someone who is prepared. A leader is someone you can count on because they are prepared. Folks, let me tell you something. Someone who is always winging it, making it up as they go, I don't think I'd follow them far. He says, if you lead, do so with diligence. And then he mentions mercy there in verse number 8. I'm I'm blessed by those people who have the gift of mercy. We have so many people in our church who have the gift of mercy. They are just merciful. But understand our gifts differ and our character determines their use. Verse number 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Love is the fuel that exercises our spiritual gift. It is love. It is because of love that I reach out to those who are not saved. It is because of love that I teach. It is because of love that I serve. It is because of love that I give. It's because of love. Love, then, is the fuel for our spiritual gifts. And then he mentions right relationships being necessary. Horizontally, verse number 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Philip's translation says, be willing to let other men have the credit. Barclay wrote, more than half the trouble that arises in churches concerns rights and privileges and prestige. Someone has not been given his or her place. Someone has been neglected or unthanked. We are to be right with each other. That is a part of it. We are to be right horizontally and also vertically. In verse number 11, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Our spirits are fervent when we understand we are serving the Lord. Then he talks about our attitude in verse number 12. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. We can rejoice because we have hope in Jesus Christ. Persevere in tribulation. Don't quit so easily. If God has called you to do something, don't quit so easily. Persevere. In tribulation, he says. Even when it's tough, even in tribulation, persevere and be devoted to prayer. Paul wrote, in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests known unto God. All right, let me conclude. We are different. God has made us different. He has gifted us differently, and that's wonderful. It would be very boring if we were all alike. My wife has a tendency to be spontaneous. I am not. And I said, I'm so grateful she's not like me. It would be very boring. I'm a boring person. But my wife makes, she makes, she, gets, she makes life good. I am so glad that God made us different. We're not the same. We are dependent on each other and we all are gifted. If you are a child of God, God has given to you a spiritual gift that is to be used. I read this quote by Dr. F.B. Meyer, who's a great Bible teacher, and I think that it's very pertinent. It is urgently needful that the Christian people of our charge should come to understand that they are not a company of invalids to be wheeled about or fed by hand, nursed and comforted, but a garrison in an enemy's country, every soul of which should have some post of duty at which he should be prepared to make any sacrifice rather than quitting. 
Ladies and gentlemen, we oftentimes look around our world today and we say it is falling apart. But then I have to ask the question, why? And when I have to ask the question, why, I normally conclude it is because we, as the people of God, have given up our place and our responsibility. God has gifted you. You and I are to be involved. We are to use the gifts and the influence and the opportunities we have to be salt and light in a world that desperately needs it. Are you? What spiritual gift has God placed within you? Because I believe that that will be the source of your judgment for rewards when you stand before the Lord. Paul said to Timothy, stir up the gift that is within you. Stir it up, put it to work, because we need it. Our Father in God, we thank you for your equipping us, calling us, and allowing us to participate with you and with each other to make a difference in our world. Father, I pray for some that would begin today as they are obedient to you in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to stand, extend an invitation. Choir's going to sing. If you're here without Christ, I would encourage you to give your heart to Him today. Give your life to Him. You'll never regret it. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. We'd love to have you as a part of our family. If you're a child of God, be involved in the ministry of the King. Stand with me, please. As we stand, they sing, you come, I'll greet you as you do.